Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Much ado about nothing. Okay. <laughs> Does that really help? I could describe most of our podcasts. Uh, no, there's not much ado. A little ado about nothing. Shakespeare, he's such a prick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I bet he invented that word as well. Mm. We've invented all the words from fucking prick to cabbage to anonymous to fucking jumblies. Anyway, I'll push down my disdain. Let's get married in the morning with an awning. Let's get married. Oh, the wedding bells are chiming on the podcast today. For we have a marriage in the film. Not in real life, just (laughs) in the film. It's Abby's pick this week. (laughs) Yay! Um, That's Abby. Uh, I'm Richard, hello. And also to chat about a film is Anthony. Good day. None of us are married, are we guys? No. Oh, and until you said that, I hadn't actually noticed. Well, Jamie's married and he's not not here right now, so he'd be the perfect person. Because it wasn't his marriage, it was a marriage of sarcasm, where people lied about how much him and his wife loved each other (laughs) until they believed the hype and then got married. That was how that worked, I think. If I recall, we don't know. We have very low XP without Jamie about the world of mariage, even how to pronounce it sometimes. Anyway, but we do with good old dirty fun antics. If there's one thing we know about, it's nothing, and we have much, <laughs> much to do to do with it. How does? Yeah, no. Um, dirty antics. What do we know about that, Anthony? I don't know. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently it was questionable. (laughs) Anyway, Abby, you picked the film, so, uh, you know, I mean, this is is some cultured shit, right? This is some fucking highbrow Shakespearean, this, oh wait, it's a farce, never mind. But you picked it, Abby, go on. You can give the details. Much Do About Nothing is from 1993. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh, who also wrote it based on the play by William Shakespeare. It stars Kenneth Branagh, Richard Bryars, Michael Keaton, Robert Sean Leonard, Keanu Reeves, Ebert Thompson, Denzel Washington, Kate Beckinsale, Jimmy Yule, Brian Blessed, Felidia Law, Imelda Staunton, Patrick Doyle and Ben Elton. And is a Shakespearean farce, as you say. It is about Hero and her groom-to-be, Claudio, who team up with Claudio's commanding officer, Don Pedro, the week before their wedding, to hatch a matchmaking scheme. Their targets are the sharp-witted duo of Benedict and Beatrice, a tough task indeed, considering their corresponding distaste for love and each other. Meanwhile, meddling Don John plots to ruin the wedding. Did you read that? I did. So it's quite confusing when you put it, like, I presume how Letterboxd puts it. <laughs> that is, I, I actually had to make it slightly less confusing as I went along. It's quite a uh, convoluted plot, but I guess it's uh, simply a wedding farce. You know, a romantic comedy of sorts. Yeah, I mean, old Bill the Bard. How do we feel about uh, William S. Shakespeare? (laughs) 
It's all right. You've been in a Shakespeare. You've been in a Shakespeare too, haven't you, Anthony? You've you've played uh, your odd part in the odd comedy Shakespeare, have you not? I have. Done any tragedies? Um, They're all tragic at the box office, am I right? Yeah, I did Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Who were you in that? Were you the dagger they saw before them? (laughs) I wasn't one of the main parts. Oh... You were good, I will say. The other, I didn't see you in Macbeth, but you've been quite uh, entertaining in the roles we've seen you perform on the uh, on the old boards. Um, oh, yeah. So some XP then, but you you are you are a fan. You, you rate him because he is critically very important. Um, I mean, when you when you like, I don't want to say study it more, but like when you're doing it. You you understand it a lot more, and you get why it's really good. Um, and you, there's a lot more like nuances, and it's fun, especially on stage, um, and especially like comedies on stage, because they they. That's what they were made for. That's where they play out. There's a whole sense of artifice to just being on stage, that works well with a farce because they're so ridiculous. Hmm. And that's one of my problems, and I'm sure we'll get with the film uh, at some point. But, you know, on, on general, I can I can watch a Shakespeare. I'm not generally confused by them or anything. Yes, they can be a bit off-putting, I think. I mean, most people's relationship with Shakespeare is it's something you're forced to study uh, uh, doing your you know, GCSEs or whatever, at least in Britain. I imagine that he comes up on the syllabus in America and other places that speak English. Uh, and probably even those that don't. He's so uber-famous, old Shakespeare, isn't he? It's because this... It's the most accessible old shit, isn't it? But it's relatable. It's sort of soap opera, sort of broad um, stories that can be... You know, it's a challenge, but you can easily follow them. You know, if you know if you have the crib notes or understand uh, how English used to work. I mean, it's not you know they're enough of a challenge to be on every syllabus, but not so difficult that they're too obtuse for students to learn. So I think that's probably why. Plus, I mean, maybe they're timeless classics that everyone loves no matter what. But I I, I think it's because you come across them in school. They can be a bit off-putting because it's like, oh, it's going to get a groan out of students, doesn't it? Like, oh, fuddy-duddy old stuff. I don't understand it. They say things weird. But uh, they're quite broad, really. Um, even the more serious ones. Yeah, because that's essentially how they were made. They were made to be crowd-pleasers. So whilst, you know, I'm sure society has moved on in the past 500 years, uh, they're still meant to be you know, playing to the mainstream. quite broadly to an audience, yeah, mainstream audience, yeah. Yeah, they got to entertain the kings and queens and the peasants alike, get the punters in. Um, yeah, but, you know, personally, Shakespeare, hmm, hmm, what do I think? I've seen a few plays, I've read a few of the plays, I've had a nice sample, I've had some of the mainstream hits from Romeo and Juliet to Macbeth to... Uh, I've only seen adaptions that have... I haven't seen the original Hamlet or, re- or read it. I've seen lots of versions of Hamlet, like fucking Scarface or... 
Uh, what did we do the other day? No, it wasn't. We didn't do that one. We did Hidden Fortress. Akira, Akira Kurosawa has adapted from Shakespeare before. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, it's fucking hell. I, I don't need to go on about Shakespeare endlessly. Everyone knows who Shakespeare is. I just don't know if I like it that much or not. I mean, I would say overrated, but he doesn't have a wealth of peers. Uh, the odd playwright from the time maybe gets mentioned, but mostly he's the one and only, isn't he? The standout. Even if he was, indeed. Like, there's dispute. that people. Some people dispute whether he was one man writing all the plays or if there was a combination effort or something. I don't know. I always find them a bit annoying, generally. But I, I, yeah. I can enjoy them, so I don't know. I think with, with Shakespeare, it's... There's, there's been so many. You can do pretty much anything with the text, uh, and there's like so many versions, both like you know, TV, film, theatre, and I think it's just finding the one right for you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, whether you want people holding guns and calling them swords, like in uh, Baz Luhrmann, like in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, or if you're more of a purist. And you want like a dark lit stage with someone holding a skull. I don't know. You can you can find all sorts of versions, but maybe that's why it becomes tiresome. Like Shakespeare is such the such a be all and end all in plays. I kind of it's very easy to get tired of that sort of thing. But that's just me, uh, Abby. What about you? You picked this. You obviously uh, had some motivation. Mm. I just. It was almost entirely motivated by me wanting to remember what Michael Keaton did in this. I had this vague memory of him doing something really weird. No. So I was like, "Yes, we need to watch this." So you because weird because he because he has a symbiotic relationship with Ben Elton of all people, has horrible, I don't know, wet tramps hair. <laughs> And rides an invisible horse, basically rips off Monty Python's uh, Holy Grail, him and Belt and clopping around in on pretend horses. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Um, so was that satisfactory, having watched it, just to go, oh, he's a disgusting tramp security guard madman. It was worth it, I'd say. Good. Uh, he's quite... And you were right, it was weird. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's done a fuck ton of weird roles over his time as uh, old Michael Keaton. If you think he's been Batman and Beetlejuice, and then a whole host of other characters in between, including a, um, I want to say Irish security guard, <laughs> emphasis on the ish. <laughs> um, yeah, so you were just like, what was Michael Keaton in this? And then that, that was enough for you to... But you like this um, adaptation, right? You like this play... You like this version that Kenneth Branagh put together back in 1993 or whatever it was? Yes. I I generally prefer the comedies to the tragedies. <laughs> already Ooh. bought. Uh, we, ten minutes in, already yawning about Shakespeare. Kel surprise. <laughs> Kel surprise. I generally prefer the comedies to the tragedies, and this is one of the most straightforward comedies. There aren't, isn't like weird magical shit. And it's just people doing some stuff. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
I, when when before I'd seen this, I mean, you showed me the, this a little while ago, and you, I think we, uh, you bought the DVD on your say so, and I was like, oh Shakespeare, and reluctant to watch it. And then the more it went on, the more I went, oh, this isn't going to be a chore. It's not like reading foreign language subtitles that you don't understand a tra- you know like sometimes it's like oh the effort of listening to Shakespeare and it's like you mm. sort of okay I'm t- using my thesaurus to understand the sentences and I'm as I'm getting the joke the next bit of poetry or line is coming and I have to get to understand that so there's an element of getting into Shakespeare brain I call it where you just oh yeah okay now I'm now I'm understanding and keeping up as it goes um I did. I must say, I got into it once. Once I was in that mode, and I found it quite funny the first time. And I didn't remember it very well. I knew there was like a lot of silly fanning around in bushes and stuff. Um, I couldn't remember much other than there was marriages and I, like. I always feel like there's going to be uh, a body swap or like a tra- like a, a gender swap in Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they happen a lot. Um, but but also, you know, Shakespeare would have had all the all good men. So even the women are dressed. Not really, in this, the men and women are played by men and women. But Shakespeare, you're always ready for a bit of trans goodness. Um, but anyway, that was wrong. There was no body swappage. There were masks, though. I feel like that's very close. When you start masking and characters mistake others, you're still mistaking people for others. So. I think we're, I was close enough, I think, with the whole, oh, I'm going to be sarcastic in front of someone and they won't know because the confusion of masks. Oh. Anyway, uh, so I would say going in then, Anthony likes Shakespeare, Abby likes this Shakespeare, I am apprehensive generally but had seen it, so it, no big surprises coming up, I don't think. No huge revel. None of us were going to be like, "Whoa, I don't believe it." Keanu Reeves, how could he? Mm. Well, the- <laughs> I don't know. It's my the only really thing I think about Keanu Reeves is that he must have had a migraine just from frowning constantly. Mm. He basically has to pout his way through the entire film. He's not in it that much. He's he's basically a villain without motivation, who's grumpy. <laughs> And decides to fuck everyone's lives up by interfering and and uh, I don't know tricking them, lying to them. And and it's you know it. He's part of an incredible ensemble. A lot of a lot of them you know are like kind of Shakespearean actors and they have like a lot of experience in it. So when put next to all that, he stands out quite a bit. Yeah, he's very much channeling his blue blue inferno. Start of acting <laughs> from uh, that vampire thing. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, but I thought it was good that he was playing a villain. He doesn't often get to be villains, uh, even now when he's like cool action Keanu, where he has everyone's respect all of a sudden. He did, you know, he don't, he's not a baddie very often. So, no. Uh, that was, you know, fun. I mean, it basically consisted of of him having. A bit of stubble, wearing black uh, trimmed clothes instead of blue, like all the good characters. And having grumpy walks, having grumpy massages. He did have the gr- <laughs> he had the grumpiest massage. How can you de-stress and be that frowny and upset? It seemed to make him more stressed, if anything. Hmm. 
don't know. I, I, I didn't think Keanu Reeves was the odd man out here. I just think... Uh, it's a shit character, I think. Yeah. It's not It's not Keanu's fault. It's just, well, it's just bollocks. He has no reason to be a dickhead. He is... I, you know, you, he is the villain as much as this thing has a villain. Um, and he's very much not in it that much. I don't know if uh, anything was, like, cut. I suppose something must have been cut. These things are usually, like, four hours long if they're not. <laughs> mm. um, I thought they were going to forget him at the end. So he's sort of... Uh, his uh, underlings get caught and punished... And he's fucked off since. So, and then right at the end they go, and we've brought him back. Naughty, naughty Keanu. We'll think of something to punish you after the film. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> back to the jolly japery of marriage. Um, take him away. Just every time the three of them talk to each other, him and his two underlings, it was just a bastard meeting. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess we should talk about what happens in the thing. Uh, and then that will contextualise uh, the villain. You can't really have a villain if you don't know what's happening. Um, I, this is this is Kenneth Branagh's thing, right? So he's one of the main actors, but he also did uh, directing duty. Did he do any other aspect of this? And he wrote the screenplay as well. So he's sort of just he's just adapt, adapting it uh, to suit really. Shakespeare would have done the hard work there, I think. Yeah, he did. he's done a bunch of. Film adaptations to Shakespeare over the years. Sorry, Abby, and you're going to have to enunciate a bit better than that. He's done a bunch of uh, Shakespeare adaptations over the years, which are generally very well received. There might be the one or two clangers in there, but largely pretty good. Uh, with, with that in mind, I was willing to cut this a lot more slack than I think even perhaps Anthony has. For once, I, I, I was more favourable, I think. And it's that Kenneth Banner, I felt did Shakespeare justice. He just necess- didn't necessarily make a brilliant film. But what he did was convert it into a film. And so the visual side and the choreography that, that you could use with camera work and, you know, like, they planned a very visually splendid Shakespearean play. But, you know, like, they, f- they it was... I don't know. What's the right word? I think they adapted it to film as well as it can while still being true to how Shakespeare would have intended you to enjoy the play, if you know what I mean. I, I quite agree. And, uh, personally, a lot of my problem with the film comes from Shakespeare himself. Some of like the, the antics going on um, and stuff like that. But on the whole... I think, like you said, this this is probably as good as it's going to get yeah. for for this as an adaptation to film. Because, uh, like you say, it's always kind of like visually striking. And the thing that got me is just the the kind of joyous, exuberant atmosphere that's just all the way throughout. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's like Novocaine. No, is that that's not the right word. Um... It's just this intense kind of ecstasy of excitement all the time. It's a bit annoying. (laughs) And I think generally it's because it's it's correct to do it that way, but it's also, yeah, just Shakespeare. Like, if you were really adapting this and you wanted it not to be true to the text, you'd go, Christ, there's so many, like, 
structure problems with this whole concept. Like, just the way that sympathy works, the contrivances, there's, it's all very, very... This only works with the understanding of how theatre must go. So, Kenneth Branagh was going, right, so people overhear a conversation. On a stage, we understand how to, like, read a play. But when you're doing that in film, we have to kind of make a point of showing a character hiding in, like, a bush maze and sort of listening in. And it's very over-the-top, very caricatured. And filmically, it looks really stupid, right? But that's because it's trying to do what the play would have needed. So it's it is such a weird task to go. We're going to be as true to the play as possible, and that means it's going to suck as a film. <laughs> but yet, still really good because of that. Really, that's like an attribute that it is so. It's like a very well produced play film. I don't know, Abby. Abby, what do you think? I can, I can see why. You're sort of hesitant with your terms because it is such a. It he has done his absolute best with it, but it is weird as fuck sometimes. And is it also wrong to be like, well, Shakespeare obviously is shit, so <laughs> Kenneth Branagh had hard work making this work. So like, I'm re- ready to cut it some slack, but really, I should be going, oh, Shakespeare's brilliant, and this is a wonderful celebration of it. I don't know, like, I don't know where my allegiances fall. What does well? <laughs> Like it is, the thing with Shakespeare is yes, it's very good. He did some wonderful things, but some of the values are getting further and further back in time now, and it's just not good enough that certain characters are barely even sketched, and that, like some people's like, a good example of it in this is like Hero, who is a nothing character. She has no personality, and she doesn't do anything. She doesn't even die. She pretends to be dead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the two main love interests that are less comedy are super boring, and a, and one of them's obnoxious. But, like, well, the bloke is obnoxious. But, um... Yeah, it's like... it's Shakespeare didn't write a fucking rom-com, did he? So you can't criticise him, and you can't criticise Kenneth Branagh because he is doing it justice, and he's, he's at least directed all the actors to help massage understanding so Shakespeare's language is very clear because of how all the characters like almost overact or they really emphasize the jokes they really emphasize the emotions they they help you understand it's like it's really good like that that makes you have to not think about everything because it's clear and uh, broad and, and easy so in that regard, Kenneth Brown, a good job. Shakespeare, we can't blame you for it in it not suiting a 2020 audience. So let's leave the grappling with, oh God, are we supposed to evaluate it as a play or as a film or as a story? Or And let's just put that to one side. Maybe it'll, we'll come to a conclusion by the end and uh, discuss what we saw and what we thought and the goings on. I guess starting with the premise. Does anyone want to explain it? At least the, oh, well, the opening was fucking... Ridiculous. Yeah, that was the weirdest one where it's... First of all, uh, Beatrice is reading poetry in a tree. Everyone's smiling and laughing on their palatial estate. And then, it's it's like it's like a Renaissance painting as well. It's very much set out to be, look at it, beautiful... Was it Italy or somewhere? Or Spain? Um, 
It's set in Sicily, but it was filmed in Tuscany. Ah, so okay, that's fair enough. But you know, it's it's very much like look at the beautiful meadows and uh, old like like manor or mansion or whatever, and then all the people are spaced out almost like deliberately to show off the depth and the characters and yeah, very very Renaissance painting. Sorry, Abby, I cut you off though. Carry on. Then the um, returning soldiers are seen in the distance. Everyone gets very excited. There's a messenger, blah, 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 blah. Everyone has to have a bath. There's some nice <laughs> full full back nudity very early on. Within the first five minutes, I'd say, many naked people. Yeah, we go from like everyone having a nice picnic who lives on this estate uh, listening to someone read a book in a tree, and then it is just like, oh, we're all cavorting, and ha- literally every single character has like a bath and shower. Everyone just runs home. The shower, the showers, are filled by all the soldiers. The baths are all jumped in by all the people living there. Like everyone is so fucking exuberant and happy, and it's just washing because I, I don't know. I guess the soldiers would be smelly from the road. The people are smelly because. It's the olden times. <laughs> but they all just, like, wash. Really joyful showering and washing. It's weird. And let us not forget the triumphant fist pump that all the men do over the titles. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Go in full end of Breakfast Club. Don't you forget about me. I haven't even arrived yet, mate. Yeah, I know, fuck. This is all, everyone, everyone's utterly thrilled. And then, like, all of the, like, the, is it a, it's a prince, right? Like, uh, Denzel Washington is a prince. And the, yes. the, the others are lords and things. Or his men. Yeah, so other soldiers, um, other officers. Keanu Reeves is his brother? They call him brother, but I'm not sure if that's, like, an actual brother thing. Or like when you say that certain people are your brother because you're so closely associated. Well, yeah, then... I, th- I think he's meant to be like his brother, so he's kind of like you know the the, the typical you know he, he's a prince, but he's not going to have any power kind of thing. Well, they're so all... that's why he's all a bit you know grumpy. They're all dons, aren't they? So. Anyway, they're all rich, important people, whether they're fucking kings, queens, princes, or knaves aside. They're all, it's all, this is a big, upper-class, happy, gayful, gayful, that's a word, uh, joyful time. And what I like is they all meet up, and they're like, lads, way, what's it going, welcome back, and then it's, uh, we might stay for a month. Fuck yeah! A month! <laughs> the soldiers are here for a month. I'm like, Christ almighty, really? I mean, have a banquet and celebrate, but are they just going to stay for a month? How fucking... I mean, I mean, I just they just live a different life, I guess. Just hanging out for a month and everyone's fucking... I can, so it's... The prince is visiting his... The bloke who voices Rhubarb and Custard, the cartoon. Who's he? Rich, uh, Richard Bryars. Richard Bryars, yeah. And he is he. Who is he to everyone? He's the sort of cousin of some of them, and the, he's like he's a well-to-do the, man. He is Signor Leonardo, who owns the estate. Hero is his daughter. Mm-hmm. 
Brian Blessed is his brother and Beatrice is Brian Blessed's daughter. Yeah. So we've got two cousins, uh, uncles, brothers, etc. Yeah. And so they're they're just receiving these guys back from some sort of gallant war. And uh, it's one of those, we're soldiers, but we're mainly just living it up kind of stuff. It's not like harrowing, oh my god, I can't believe we survived. It's, yay, we killed those uh, dirty foreigners and have now taken over type war, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, don't worry about danger and things. It's not harrowing. I, I think, um, I say, I think, I'm reading here, that apparently... Uh, they like uh, Keanu Reeves' character Don John had some sort of uprising against Don Pedro, who was uh, Denzel Washington, and that was what they were fighting, and that's what they're coming back from. Even though they're coming back with their enemy. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that don't make any sense. It'd be weird. It? It'd be weird if the war started over you fucked up my friend's wedding because you were a git. Because Keanu Reeves, in he's sort of. The only person who isn't gay and happy and whoa, brilliant party time, woo! I love being home. Fuck yeah, everyone's gonna fuck. Like he's the only one. Like, hmm, not bothered. And his main motivation is, I don't want to smile when I don't feel like smiling. I don't want to do things. When I don't feel like being polite in any way. I only ever want to do what I want to do. I don't. I hate faking it. Ugh. Why do I have to fake all the niceties with all these pleasant people, bastards? So that's his main thing. Not a coincidence. I'd say it is not a coincidence that I discovered this as a teenager. Oh yeah, were you perhaps more sort of fucking emo, like <laughs> moody goth person who was like, mm, "Too right, Keanu. Go show of marriage is bullshit." I don't remember, but it wouldn't surprise me because he is just absolute A star goth. Which it goes against his kind of party on dudes Bill and Ted vibes, you know? Bill and Ted couldn't be nicer to anyone. They seem to be endlessly optimistic and then Keanu in this is like No, it's bullshit. Mm. Fucking dumb one gonna go and be moody on my own. What happened to Party On, dudes? Not rhetorical, guys. What happened to him? What happened to Party <laughs> On? <laughs> it hadn't, it hadn't happened yet. True. He's gone all the way back in the past and he's stuck there and he's turned into a grunt machine. You'd be a grunt machine if you were stuck all the way back in the past and the only thing you knew before was, like, the Kmart and school. Oh, God. Mm, I don't know. Certainly perplexing. So... Everyone's rejoicing, but we've got to set up our romantic leads because it doesn't take long and it won't matter very much because it's basically handsome young guy. I don't actually know that actor's name. Who is that? The is it Robert? Robert Sean Leonard. Who's he? I'm not sure. Never heard of him. No, He's no offense. In Dead Poet Society. Oh God, that's why I don't. I don't want to remember it. Yes. And she was in. She was in some TV thing as well. See, 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 see the one that House is mean to. I don't know, dude. Oh, it could be. Yeah. 
Okay. But this, he is your blonde-haired, blue-eyed, handsome, young, uh, not boring, boring, yeah, boring love interest or get, I get, you know, not quite protagonist, is he? Um, but you know, he's the male sexy lead who's in love with a woman because she's on a balcony, has nice long curly hair, and her tits are out a bit. Oi, oi, I love you with all my heart because you're a sexy woman. That is all the motivation a man needs to marry you as soon as possible. I love you because I have met you. I feel like there was actually a period of time that ended sometime in the 1970s where that was actually a thing. What do you mean? People just looked at each other and went, I love you, and that was it. Well, it's just just in underwhelming things in fiction, like in real life. I guess you don't need much, do you? Just someone who looks you in the eye is enough for some people. Yeah, there was like the, before the period where you could be choosy. You just laid eyes on someone and went, yeah, I guess. Sure. You're a man, I'm a woman, tick, tick, done. Simpler times. Maybe. Yeah, I've got it... money, you've got a house. Let's get <laughs> married and make sure no one else has anything. Think how handsome our babies will be. Yeah. But, the you know, she, and she has even less going on. She doesn't even get to make these large declarations of love. She just is like, oh, yay, a man fancies me. Oh, he's a soldier, sexy, uniform. Mm. Um, yeah, so, the, and then, hooray, everyone's rejoicing because they're going to get married. Uh, except Keanu Reeves, who's like, I'm going to spoil it because I'm a dickhead. Um, it would be good if he did that voice. Oi, fucking hell. I'm fucking Keanu Reeves, and I? I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I've always been no good. <clears throat> oh, Ray Winstone would have been good. I mean, too old, but still. Uh, anyway. Mm, well. Anyway. Uh, what happens then, guys? Where are we at? What, where, and we're introduced to the more interesting couple i it's hard to say which is the like the a plot and the b plot i suppose technically they're like the main plot where you have the characters benedict played by kenneth branner and beatrice played by emma thompson who have the classic we hate each other we act, but we actually love each other kind of thing going on yeah kenneth branner is playing a kind of cad like uh, he's sort of a witty, clever cogs. It's always full of jokes and japery, and uh, he's full of himself, but also thinks it's kind of boring that everyone's getting married. Oh, marriage is bullshit. Why does everyone get tied down? I want to be a bachelor forever. If ever I say anything contrary to this, I'm a dickhead. He makes a big old fuss and has a lot of fun slagging off the sanctity of marriage and how boring it is. And Emma Thompson is kind of just a bit of a bitch in general at this stage. She's just a bit disagreeable, but not in a villainous way. She's just a bit hoity and, uh, I don't know, disagreeable. She sort of comes around a little bit later on. She really fucked me off initially, though. Yeah, it does come across like that. Because the first time you really see her, other than just reading poetry in a tree, is when she's like matching witch, matching wits. With Kenneth Branagh, yeah, and it's kind of, it is kind of said like that. You know, 
they've always had this kind of relationship and they've been I don't know if they've ever met you'd assume so but it does say they've like corresponded and I think they both enjoy the kind of banter they have but but it does come across as they're both being arrogant and pompous and disagreeable Mm. Yeah, it's very ten things I hate about you. Oh, we really fucking hate each other, but we the thing I hate the most is how much I fucking love you. You do know that ten things I hate about you is based on the Tame in the Shrew, don't you? Another Shakespeare thing? Yeah. Well, I've only got so many references, and <laughs> it just came to mind, that's all. Anyway... So that they set their stall out for ho hum isn't this all going to be very fucking ironic later on when we completely change our tune, and for the most part the good characters are focused on uh, setting up these two to go out with each other. Basically, like everyone starts meddling in a jolly jape kind of way to get them coupled up, while Keanu Reeves in the background is fucking up the marriage that is going ahead. So that's the main focus. All the good characters are like, hoo we should play a trick on them. And their trick, basically, everyone like Denzel Washington and, uh, like, there's like a whole bunch in it. Just all the, all the characters from, hmm. like, uh, like, I mean, how many are involved directly? I mean, I guess the... It's, it's, most of them are involved. Because they get two different instances of them saying stuff so that they 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 definitely get the message. Yeah, so it like, leads to some excellent deck chair comedy from Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, because this is it. We've got like, this amazing uh, sort of villa setting and some fabulous gardens and they're always, like, Kenneth Branagh's always making sure there's loads of bloody extras knocking around. Like, I don't, like, every shot has just got monks and people doing laundry and like peasants walking by or servants doing something and guests wandering around and ch- chatting and we get loads of sweeping shots around the gardens and fountains and hedges uh, to really show off this setting. So I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, there's some nice camera work. Um, but it's basically Kenneth Branagh setting up stall. He's got like a deck chair he's pricking around with and can't get set up. And in the meantime, Denzel Washington... And oh, I'm gonna remember what are their characters' names? Come on, Rich. I mean, not that hard. It's Pe- Don, Don Pedro. Pedro. That's Denzel, and then it's the blonde guy, right? And then also Claudio. Rich- and uh, then uh, Leonardo, right? The guy whose mm-hmm. gaff it is. They're all deliberately loudly talking. <laughs> about how much Emma Thompson's character... I said, I can't do it. I need to use the actor's names so I'm going to be going to come unstuck. But Emma Thompson's character, she fucking... She may act like a bitch and she may never say that she loves you or loves him. So if she was confronted, she'd definitely deny any love. But that's because she's so secretly in love with him. Oh my God, does she fancy the pants or the pantaloons off of him? Fucking hell, do you believe it? And they're already giving it the old, Yes, I've heard this. Oh, have you? Let's make sure we're overheard by anyone listening in a bush. And then, of course, like, the reaction from behind the bush from Kenneth Branner is like, Oh, who? I must not be seen. But obviously I must be seen because that's how plays and films work. I must listen in. My God, could it be true? (laughs) Shall I fight with this deck chair some more? 
so there's a whole lot of like ho hum ha ha. We are pretending we've heard some rumors about the other person loving you, even though they fucking kind of find you annoying. And then they do the old switcheroo. Who is it? Like, uh, I want to say it's Hero and Ursula. Is her name? I think. Yes, Ursula. And is that? Did you Abby? This an aside. I, I did not check this. Oh, do you want to? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. No, I it's mean that's Emma not... Thompson's mum. I'd got it mixed up, unless she was married to Brian Blessed at some point, because he is definitely squeezing her ass. <laughs> For real, he's. <laughs> so Brian I Blessed think he was just like her servant or something. No, I mean that Felicity Law is literally Emma Thompson's mum. Oh, okay. But in this, she is uh, Brian Bless's wife. Maybe. Well, not maybe. I that's. I don't, I don't think it's his wife. I in real life. Like servant. Wait, are we talking about real life? Are we talking about real life or fiction now? Yes, she's a servant in real life. This <laughs> no, I mean. If it is, a, if she is a servant in the play, then you know, ID is inappropriate with her. Mm. <laughs> I'm calling foul on some of that. But they do basically the same thing anyway. Her and Hero are like, oh, guess who fucking loves someone? Oh, you wouldn't believe. Kenneth Branagh fucking loves the shit out of Emma Thompson, did you know? Fuck off, he doesn't. Yes, he does, and when he denies it, that's even more proof that he loves her. He'd never admit it, of course. And then, you know, both of them are fucking rubes. Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh's characters are like, could it be? What the fuck? No. Surely not. But if they did love me secretly, that makes me love them. And I'm good to cavort about in a fountain and or swing, depending on who I am. And, yay, we're in love with people who fancy us. That's all we need to love someone is to know they fancy us. So, good motivation for a marriage. Actually, more complicated than that in real life. Well, you only love people based on their. I mean, I guess ultimately you need someone to fancy you back for it to work. But that's not the only motivating. You have to like them for themselves. I mean, Kenneth Branagh makes a big speech before anyone tricks him about, oh, what woman would I settle for? And he lists off every amazing attribute he'd require. Or he'd be like, oh, no, I couldn't be with a woman who doesn't. isn't both charming, handsome, clever, mild. Like, and the only thing he's like willing to put up with is God can choose what colour hair they have. But he needs them to be perfect in every other way. So he's very much like, you know, I need the perfect lady before I settle. And then as soon as someone has a whiff, as soon as he has a whiff that someone might fancy him, he's like, I love her. By yeah. Jove, that's, that's, that's love at first rumour. I still well... say that that's pretty realistic myself. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not like you know they've never they they don't they've only just met and they've never had any kind of relationship before. I think the, the subtext is they actually did. They haven't really fooled each other. They they haven't the people haven't fooled them into loving each other. They did love each other. They just wouldn't admit it. So it's not a trick, but the rumors aren't true. Like how does it work? Either they're lying about rumors. Or the rumours are true and they're not lying and it's not a trick. I think it's sort of that thing of... 
you get it sometimes where two people fancy each other, but it never really lines up for them to actually go out. Like, one of them's in a relationship when they meet this other person, so they don't get together then. And then when the first person breaks up, the other one's already with someone else, so then they don't get together then either. It's well, they... only much, much later when they're both actually single that anything well, actually happens. Well, they are both single uh, in this, so the opportunity's right. But it just seems, oh, our friends are meddling bastards, and they're going to get involved and try and trick people. I don't know. I guess you need a, a premise for this comedy farce, so why not this? And it is kind of funny. I do enjoy Kenneth Branagh's over-the-top acting, and uh, it's it, it's still... I, Emma Thompson didn't win me over just yet. She was still like, oh, you fucking knob. But um, I, think, I think Kenneth Branagh, because his thing, he's really doing his best to make the comedy work. And I really appreciated it because he was a fucking card. He was so funny, <laughs> and it is quite broad nonsense. I mean, there is some wit in Shakespeare. Like, there's some wonderful sarcasm, some love, lovely imagery to help sow, like the seeds of. Oh, sorry. There, there's some lovely use of language throughout. It's all very like rich and full of. Uh, funny imagery, you know, and and just needlessly sarcastic needlessly sarcastic sarcasm upon sarcasm and really over the top long-winded sarcasm as well which is quite good if you if you're british you fucking bang into it because all we do all day is lie at each other for humor we just lie and never say the truth oh do i love my mother no i think she's a bitch and i'll tell it to her face and kick her in the stomach when she's down because i love her really like that's how british people are i think never Not far off Never admit the truth. Always lie. The truth is far too sincere. We can't possibly admit what we actually think. Yeah. So like I was saying before, whilst technically this is the B-plot, I think it's because it's Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson doing this. It's what heightens it and makes it the more interesting part of the whole film. Well, they have they have more dialogue. The other two are just fucked with. And therefore, they don't have much to say. Their characters don't have much depth. Whereas these two have a kind of... You know, they sort of... They're sparring with each other all the time, verbally. And... Mm. So when Emma Thompson is then asked, oh, go and invite him to, to... Go and call him for dinner. She's like, I've been forced to call you for dinner and I don't like it. And then Kenneth Branagh's like... Oh. She must mean something else by that. I'm gonna. Uh, yes, I've been told about you, and you're being. If you're being a bitch, it means you love me. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> so I think that's why, though, isn't it? It's because they have more to do. They feel like a more of the f- the main plot, don't they? Hmm. Uh. How how were you, Abby, with this? Was this your fucking jam or what? Oh, but this just. This takes us into Michael Keaton's entrance. After fanning about in the fountain, we meet him. Yes, we do. Arguably yeah. the most interesting thing <laughs> in this. The mad bastard. Or good or bad. I found it a bit weird at first because his first entrance seems totally pointless. Yeah, you don't know what what he's for. <laughs> for a little bit. So his introduction is essentially just coming in and being a buffoon to some people, essentially just telling them, you're watching here for a while. But that goes on for a while. 
Yeah, because they're just they're the night watchmen, aren't they? Yeah, the three security guards are all together guarding the three massive pillars by the steps of one side of the manor. Like I don't should they be like on a patrol? No, just stand upright and be ready to listen to any overheard conversations of plotters and schemers, please. <laughs> Thanks. That would be great. And no ex- yeah. no explanation of why he kind of Michael Keaton is followed by uh Ben Elton and he's always got him like in like in a headlock or he's slapping him and poking and touching him. And in nineteen ninety three we all appreciated that. <laughs> I think a lot of people wanted to like punch and kick Ben Elton, <laughs> but uh, it was Mike, Michael Keaton was in the privileged position to be able to slap him at his own whim. Uh, the whole thing, actually, because uh, Ben Elton's in this, it and Ben Elton has done like Upstart Crow, a sitcom all about Shakespeare. So obviously, uh, Ben Elton has a, a large knowledge of Shakespeare, but the whole piece felt a bit like the same comedy as in Blackadder, a little broader and old-fashioned, but Blackadder has a lot of the same verbose language, endless sarcasm, underhanded plots going on. You know, a lot of the humour of Blackadder, which obviously Ben Elton ha- mm. was, was a writer for, like, it's very, very similar to this. I didn't realise how much Shakespeare was like Blackadder and vice versa, you know? Hmm, you're right. I've never put those two together before, but you're quite right. So I, Ben Elton definitely had a place in this. I just it seemed to be under the arm of Michael Keaton, as a kind of disgusting Baldrick type character. Yeah, I was just going to say that one of the, the most interesting things about his character is that in Shakespeare plays originally, where they wouldn't have had horses in the theatre, they would pretend to have horses and they would have sound effects. And whereas the the all the other characters in this have actual horses. But because Michael Keaton's insane, he has an imaginary horse, and so does Ben Elton. But why is he insane? Just to be comedy? Because <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the, the comedy fool. But they're all the co- it's all comedy. He's all a farce. Everyone's an insufferable mad twat. Well, mm. they're all weird. I am in two minds about Michael Keaton's performance as Dogberry, and this is Dogberry. <laughs> I I enjoyed it. That's not two minds. Oh. Here's the here's here's the other point. But I couldn't understand what he was saying most of the time. Because he's doing um, ye olde Irish or something. Yes. He so not just not just Irish. He's doing Beetlejuice, doing Irish, doing Shakespeare. So. <laughs> No, he's, but he's Benicio Toroing it. Nothing of what he's saying is of consequence, so it That's doesn't true. need to be heard. <laughs> yeah, he basically just tells, uh, like, the master of the house, like, "Oh, uh, we've caught criminals." But, like, he doesn't have much to do other than make arguments in, in like the jail cell courthouse yeah. scenario or and anything. That is a kind of trope of Shakespeare. Like he he tends to when when you have like smaller scenes that need to be there for plot you know convenience and exposition he's he's not he's very he likes to put in a very foolish person saying pointless shit just for a laugh. So if you're gonna have this crap in here to make the plot work, we may as well dick around with it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a bit of a trope, really. 
Yeah, he also... Moronic Jailers also seems to be something that Shakespeare's fond of. Maybe he went to jail one time and fucking mm. liked to make fun of them. I don't know. Um, but but like, but like I was saying, I'm a bit in two minds about it. Um, it, it I don't know, just a little bit off. It Enjoyable, was, but a little bit off. It was so inex- it was inexplicable as well. It was like, what? Yeah. What's the story here? Like he's also he's a semi-hero because he. If, because he successfully, the security guards find out a plot and arrest people and are competent, yet they behave like scruffy mad people. So th- their incompetence seems out of place. I mean, it doesn't let. It's not. Not very. It's not a hugely genius role. And Michael Keaton is, I don't know, weird to irritating. So, but I, I, I kind of liked how disgustingly bizarre it was. I. I I liked questioning what the fuck is all this about, and we get no explanation. Like, just there it is. Make of it what you will. That was weird. Michael Keaton for fuck's sake. That's Batman. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> Where you Abby? Were you? Uh, was it you? I mean, you wanted to see remember. So was this? Like, would you think Michael Keaton in this role was great, bad, or unneeded? I'm glad he did it. I'm not saying he nailed it. But I'm glad an attempt was made. I'm, I'm okay with it. It brings the film an extra level of you should watch this. Michael Keaton, Keanu Reeves, Denzel Washington. They are all in this, and it is weird. Which is exactly what I did. Yeah, and he slaps around Ben Elton, so thanks. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, bef- so after the security guards are set up to basically for the contrivances of the plot to work. The plot... The scheme, I guess, that Keanu Reeves is up to is as simple as one of his dog's bodies. He's got, like, two underlings, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Like other soldiers or something. And they are going to... So it's basically... We can trick a man... Nope, don't remember his name. Blondie McDouching... Claudio. Claudio. So Claudio... can be tricked into thinking his uh, wife-to-be is a bit of a dirty dirty girl, and is having it off with this uh, servant. No. That's it. The, oh, God. So, his plan is basically to get his, his underling to fuck a servant on a balcony, and because her face will be turned away and it'll be at her uh, at uh, Hero's room... They'll all think she's a dirty bird who's had sex with some other bloke before the marriage and is a massive, horrible, dirty shame and they'll all be called off and the marriage will be ruined before it even happens. That's the plan, isn't it? Get shagging on a balcony, get mistaken, ha ha ha, laugh into a handkerchief. Right. And it goes perfectly, basically, doesn't it? Yeah, if he hadn't have got pissed on those steps, they would have got away with that. Yep. So Brian Blessed and Denzel Washington are hanging out as they because they're friends in this. How are those two in a film together? Mm. <laughs> like, but they're, they're also. I want to I want to point out that Brian Blessed doesn't shout much. I was going to say that, like, <laughs> you have Brian Blessed in a film, and you don't have him being loud. He's being quite timid, isn't he? And being quite nice. But then he does have reason to lose his temper a bit. He never goes full, like, Gordon's alive! But he does 
lay into Denzel Washington and uh, his friend when they're like going to fuck off, basically. It's a great bit where he keeps telling um, Leonardo, no, you calm down, you bastards, I'll get you. No, you calm down, brother. It's fine. I fucking hate you. Yeah. But he's before that though. He's having a jolly jape with Jen Denzel Washington and all them. They all basically creep up on Kenneth Branagh's character, and he's like flicking a scarf around himself. He's kind of enjoying being in love now, and everyone's like, "Ah, gay! <laughs> Look at him!" <laughs> and he's like, "Fuck off, guys! <laughs> Don't make fun of me!" And they're all like, "Ho, ho, ho! We pulled the comedy joke of looking at you and laughing on you, ha ha!" And then, of course. Uh, Old uh, Don Juan what t- turns up and is like, "Oh, everyone, come this way <laughs> and see the naughty stuff going on. It's so dirty. Come and there's been betrayal and stuff. Ooh, come and look at people shagging on a fucking <laughs> windowsill or whatever." Was it, does Shakespeare always turn to like uh, what are they called verandas or whatever ledges? There's a lot of balconies in that. But balconies. That's just a theatrical. Thing. Thinking about it, it must have been quite commonplace for people to be having sex al fresco, for no one to be like, oh, they're having sex outside. Well, it's Italy, so <laughs> the weather's a bit nicer. Whatever. But the the crucial thing is they haven't seen the woman's face, it's just a servant, but I mean, she doesn't look that much like Hero, so... They don't really see her, though, they just see her hair, and it's like curly and brown and... It's That's pretty much what the other woman had. If some pug ugly servant is having a woman in her room or on the edge of it, it must be her. And that's pretty damning evidence, you would kind of assume. But luckily, Keanu Reeves gets his hand on the mouth of uh, Claudio and is like, ah, but, 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 but don't call out and confront her now because she'll turn around and be like, oh, sorry, just having sex in my master's room. Um, so that, you know, nothing comes of it, but they go away all all annoyed. But then, this is the bit that really fucked me off, because, like, in rom-com land, this makes no fucking sense, and probably in play land, it doesn't make sense. But you go, oh, I've just found out my fiancé's cheating on me, or is having sex with someone, or, you know, whatever. Let's carry on with the wedding as if it's about to happen, get to the... down, walk down the aisle... Ask, wait for the bit, like, does anyone object? And then shove your future wife over a bench and call her a slut and say you caught a shag in someone and it's all bollocks and you're outraged uh, to the point where you even get the, the father of the bride wanting to lamp her in the face for being a dirty bitch. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you just, like, confront her or cancel the wedding? Why would you wait till this over-the-top dramatic moment to announce that she's a dirty bitch? <laughs> well, over the top dramatic moment, that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, um, Shakespeare also is. Um, a hack? Gary Springer, apparently. <laughs> not a hack, but he, he does like his unexpected tone shifts. Just which, a... which occur. And, you know, in amongst this, like, really light hearted comedy, and then you have this really kind of, like, powerful, awful, dramatic, angry scene. <laughs> it's, and it, it's just another case of his like, tonal whiplash. 
and then the th- for me the big problem is okay so you've just shoved your wife uh, so you just shoved your fiance over a bench you're not planning to marry her fair enough but there's no redeeming this when we find out that this was not the case and that she deserves an apology at best she's not going to fucking marry you you lamped her yeah. at your own <laughs> wedding like that's like oh fuck you buddy I only fancied you because you fancied me oh well I only fancied you because you're attractive and I'm attractive and fuck all you like all I did I potentially had sex before we were married with someone else and that's you know it's a bit grubby but it's not that bad and you fucking shoved me over and spoilt the day and shamed me in front of everyone you're a prick mate I can't trust you like you know it is pretty hard to buy in this day and age that she would still be keen on him after that yeah but uh, it's all a big mistake, so it's fine. <laughs> like th- there is a bit of penance. He doesn't just get away scot free, you know, at the end. But uh, for now, he's uh, fucked off and fucked off, and it's left the family all angry and in tears, and everyone, no one knows who to believe. Um, basically, there's two camps, aren't there, of the good guys? Oh, well, the people who believe Hero and the people who believe, uh, I guess, uh, Claudio and. Uh, the prince. Mm. Do, you, do you want to explain what happens now, Abby? Yeah, this is where um, there's a slight pause in Benedict and Beatrice's romance during this part. Understandably, there's so. a bit of an argument and a cry. You know, whose side are you fucking on? My cousin's not a slut. That kind of thing. And then uh, eventually, she prevails him to. She wants him to kill Claudio, which means that he is going to... Um... Do you invite someone to a duel? No, you challenge someone to a duel. So he's going to challenge Claudio to a duel. Yeah, his friend, so it's a pretty big deal. Mm. And he's and at this... At this at the, sorry, and at this point, he's potentially quite right for chucking her. No one has any proof of anything any other way. Mm. And they have... Little bit of a continuation of their romance, but it's mostly about him coming onto her side. Yeah, yeah. Emma Thompson has a bit of a cry and a shout, and uh, starts to sort of. Oh fuck! I forgot we had that party with all the fucking masks. <laughs> like, just remembered it. There was some development for Emma Thompson's character that maybe come round before now, before she sort of acts a bit. But it was just, they had a big, they had a lavish rich people party where everyone wore silly masks that were quite cool looking or grotesque, depending on how you feel. And we had a bit of fucking Kenneth Branagh feeling like a twat because he was behind a mask talking to Emma Thompson. She basically said how much of a dickhead Kenneth Branagh was, in her opinion. But she thought that he knew she was joking and he didn't. And, you know, it's all pouts and, no, don't say that. And getting the wrong end of the stick. I think Denzel Washington is talking to Hero and then Keanu Reeves also sticks his oar and is like, oh, he really does fancy her. There's a whole lot at that party, which I felt I should have mentioned before now because it happened ages ago. Any thoughts on the mask party with all its fun costumes? It's a bit late now. Although she does inexplicably produce an apple from somewhere. Yeah. It kind of plucks it from a fountain where it couldn't have my been. O- my only comment about that would be Kenneth Branagh's weird accent that he puts on. Oh, the silly voice he does to mask who he is. 
Yeah, what was that supposed to be? Like Spanish or Italian or sad man face, which is what his mask, I guess, was. <laughs> what is I'm that? Just gonna call it problematic and sweep you under the carpet. Do you ha- do people just have a shit ton of like? fancy masks all hidden away they get out or did they make all the servants make paper mache artwork for weeks on end before the soldiers got back to make this happen like a lot of prep work this period of time there was quite a sort of community theater tradition well they might have had them from say like a summer festival or like um if there was something before halloween there was a similar well they just burnt someone in a wicker man didn't they <laughs> so yeah, they've probably accrued these masks over time. And they're just like, know. let's all get fucking wasted and dick around. Yeah, I mean it's a lavish party. But I just I remembered it then. In a, mm. going back to the tragedy at hand. Um, yeah, so they so they come up with a plot then to pretend that Hero is dead. Of course. In order in order for um, Claudio to. Well, I don't know. To see the error of his ways. Well, just so a hero doesn't feel any shame. I'd rather you be die of shame and be f- memorialised than for you to carry on about your life being that bitch who fucking had sex on a balcony and then got shoved at a wedding. I have never liked a death plot device in any mm. shape. Well, fake out as well. Mm. Yeah, because it's like you're, we killed you so that your shame would die with you until we knew otherwise or some shit. It doesn't make sense. It's almost equally as bad as the plot to like pretend she's like an adulteress as well. Like, oh, well, we'll just pretend she's dead and make him feel terrible. Yeah. And make him just believe that the love of his life is dead. And it's like, well, he doesn't care because she was a bitch anyway. They all collect, well, I'm sorry she's dead, but also... Oh, slut. <laughs> like, um, it doesn't make any sense. Well, well, then, like, so when it becomes revealed it was all a big lie as well, they have, like, a fucking, not a candlelit vigil, but, like, a, I don't know, stake-lit vid- vigil and memorialise her and have, like, they, like, they mourn her or something. And it's like, do you want to reveal that she's not dead instead of carrying on as if she's going to have a funeral now? And, like, just fucking go, oh, we're only joking about her dying. Like, why the fuck did they, like, not instantly take it back when they knew the truth was out? It's fucked up. Oh, they wanted to do the fucking weird wedding thing reveal with all the veils, I guess. So, that's much more dramatic and awful. Oh yeah, I think it's so, to, I, to I, punish I, him though, wouldn't it? I guess. Sad. I forgot about the plot point as well, where she's pretending to be her like identical twin cousin as well that he's now being forced into marrying. The yeah. phrase identical twin cousin. <laughs> Just it's so Greek <laughs> instead of Shakespearean. Yeah, so like I guess to catch up to that, I mean, the easiest way to say it is. Uh, dog breeze men overhear the servant who had sex with the no shit. Dog breeze men overhear the conversation of the servant who did the dirty deed for Keanu Reeves's character, and he's like, "Oh, I've I've only done and done the crime I just done did." Oi, you there, we're arresting you for whatever you're on about, and we're going to have a little court case and everything, and it's all going to be 
uh, over here in a jail cell. We're going to have a court case for some reason. And in the meantime, everyone will get confused. And we'll eventually go, no, look, we'll, t- we'll just bring the prisoner. Like, everyone, like, uh, all the security guards bring the prisoner eventually after the trial, question mark, and say, look, these guys were up to no good and they admit everything. And then, basically, they go and tell the prince and uh, Claudio, see, look, this is all sorted out. He, it, You didn't see them having sex. You saw this grubby servant. And uh, she's not... Actually, the servant isn't bad. Just just <laughs> Keanu Reeves' guy. She was just a tart, but she didn't know she was doing anything wrong. You know? There was, there was a weird bit at the end where like the servant comes back in and they're like, oh, you. Uh, Not, nothing's changed. You big slapper. <laughs> Always get into trouble. <laughs> Fucking all the blokes. Yeah, it was weird that they just let her off the hook. But uh, whatever. But they deliberately did it under the. Like, because Keanu Reeves told them to. So they're actually up to something, I guess. But that all comes out. And then it's like, see, we told you she wasn't. Uh, two-timing you, or whatever, and everyone's like, oh, awkward, uh, sorry? And then, there's that bit you were, you were starting to mention, Anthony, about, so, as an apology, and knowing that my daughter has committed suicide from shame, you will marry my other daughter, no one has known, or talked about, but is identical, is that what they say? Yeah, well, it, like, it would be her cousin. Oh, right, right, so... As a as an apology, you'll marry my other, like relative who is the same, mm. but you will not see them or meet them until the wedding day, because reasons. But now, they probably wanted to be sure he wasn't going to go back on it again. Yeah, you have to now. You've yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> so let's pay respects to the dead woman who died because you thought she was a slut, but she wasn't. And she died and committed suicide or whatever. Let's all be sad. Now a marriage to a stranger you haven't met. Who will it be under all the veils? It's like, why do they have ev- several people in veils? He doesn't think he knows this woman. She could walk up as is. I know we have to have the reveal of it's actually Hero isn't dead, but why? The, they don't, he doesn't choose the bride from a sequence of, ah, you'll recognise her through the veil if you truly love her. Why do they do that? Well, the people used to wear veils. But they deliberately have loads of people in white dresses with veils on as if, ah, you don't know which one is going to be, do you? And it's like, you can't Mm. see any of them. I suppose. Can't they they notice (laughs) yours? Abby? No, you're right, it's weird that they put several women in veils, because, like you say, she's in a veil. You can't see who she is. So, why have more than one bride? And Emma Thompson's under one veil, and that's just to go, look, oh, there's the woman I'm going to marry when Kenneth Branagh eventually remembers he's supposed to get married to someone at the end. Um, Claudio must be having a fucking breakdown. First he like thinks his, his fiancé's cheating on him, then he's hitting her at the wedding. Then he's, like, wrong and thinks she's committed suicide from shame. Then he's forced into a marriage with a cousin of hers that he has never met. Then it's her again. 
<laughs> like, plus he's been doing other tricks on people, like and lying up to his friends about who fancies who. So it's all you don't know. Where you, you never know who's gonna like pull off a mask and be like, actually, no, I'm your brother, your uncle, your auntie, your teacher from school. <laughs> like, wh- like, wh- when will the lying end? All my friends lie and trick me all the time. So it's it's pretty fucked up, really. But you know, happily ever after, you know. Yeah, it's one of the few kind of like Shakespeare comedies that I've seen where the ending isn't problematic. Not problematic, just a lot of the time he'll just, it's all fun and games and everything's going well. And then, oh, here's this weirdly dramatic and sad bit just at the end. It's like, oh, okay. At least with this film, it's got a, you know, a normal happy ending. Normal-ish, I mean, still pretty baffling. (laughs) Like, the bad guys are caught, the good people get to marry who they want to, properly. No, but, like, for example, like, in uh, in Love's Labour's Lost, which is another one of his kind of, like, farces about love and marrying, it's all, like, kind of culminated in, uh, oh, we were doing this the whole time, and... It's me, we can get married, ha 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 ha. Oh, by the way, your dad's dead. <laughs> what's the What's the one where, oh, I'm in love with a man, oh, thank Christ, she's a woman, now I can be straight, thank, thank God, for a minute there, I was having to change my gender identity or, or something. Yeah, that's, yeah, Twelfth Night, where it's, it's a, a similar, similar thing where, oh, mistaken identities have been revealed and everything's happy, oh, but also about this character we've been abusing the whole time. Let's not forget about him, and he can be really sad. Oh. <laughs> so, at least with this one, it's a normal ending. Like, the people who did wrong properly are caught. Keanu Reeves is found and brought back for a curtain call and like, hello, I'm bad, yes, yes, you've caught me, I'm needlessly villainous. Good day. Um, but they get married, and then there's that little bit of... We we can't let the two the the sort of the B plot couple get away scot free. They have to everyone they have to realise that everyone sort of had them going, like you mm. lied to us, we didn't fancy each other secretly. Ha ha but you did fancy each other secretly eventually, because you wrote silly poetry about each other. I've got one, I've got one too. Oh, and they do little coy looks as they read each other's poetry about each other and go oh, are they all bloody hilarious and have a good old sarcasm off again where they go well I guess I'll fucking marry you out of pity I guess it's better than being thrown on some rocks and I'll fucking marry you because no other cunt will have you like they basically are pricks to each other and then kiss because I guess they're really British not Italian in all honesty but yeah we uh, both couples are like oh hooray happy endings and everyone just um frolics around some more we started with bathing and frolicking and we're going to end on dancing and fro- f- f- fucking hell frolic <laughs> we and we're ending with dancing and frolicking around pick up the flowers from the wedding oh let's throw them about and dance and throw petals and the camera can just pan off forever leaving us all dancing around having a jolly old song and Hooray! Happy endings. Mm. It was really t- triumphant 
at the end with the later petals, petals. They're published in the sky. Everyone's dancing. You're getting all of the vista of the manor because it essentially does the reverse of what it did at the beginning, where it started grand and then came in. This pulls out, and good grief, Kenneth Branagh got his money's worth out of that crane. <laughs> he did. It was but a big old crane. If that if that was the case. So yeah, he really made sure to leave it with grandeur at the end. Just the relief of oh God, thank Christ, we're leaving these endlessly jolly people who just lie to each other all day. <laughs> just oh, just enough. Can we go back to more mundane things rather than rich people dancing about in bushes and with masks and hitting each other? <laughs> Shit, we're leaving. Hooray! Yeah, any other notes you guys made that you're like, oh, we should have brought up that, or this, or another thought I had? No moments. Nothing we've missed. No. Just, you know, just general thoughts. I suppose it's kind of like a concluding. Um, it's it's a good film. I enjoyed it. And, like we said before, it's probably the best you can do filmically playing it fairly straight if you know what i mean yeah um doesn't deviate from the text that much so far as i know no um i do you know it, it's not perfect i do have some qualms but uh like i said more it's more to do with uh you know like the the script uh and you know general kind of like shakespearean conventions than actual filmmaking, um, like you know, there's not there's not many monologues. Mostly, like Kenneth Branagh has just just monologues where he's just talking to himself, and they you know they seem a bit off. They're, they're quite funny though. They're like they're very silly and amusing the way he plays them. Yeah, but like that's the thing. He's like he's very good at at it. So when he's doing it, you know, he's got the experience where he can pull it off in an entertaining way. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, couldn't they have, like, just have him talking to, like, a silent servant or something, or, you know, some sort of filmic device? Because it, it doesn't happen very often, which is weird for a Shakespeare thing, because, you know, that's practically all of a Shakespeare's play is just talking to the audience. Um... He does make Kenneth Branagh make some lovely noises to himself. Well, <laughs> I, the way he pronounces things when he's all butthurt, he's like, <laughs> you know, he's got a lot going. He does like ham it up really well. Mm. And then other problems, which are just to do with you know a, a really like a five hundred euro plot. You know? Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> but on the whole, as as a film, I you know it, it's it does Shakespeare justice. It kind of it captures the essence of it really well. Yeah, if you're going to try and save a bit of time reading the book or the play, you can watch this and you probably will be able to do an essay off the back of it without having loads of, oh, they adapted and made changes. And, you know, some of the the other things that adapt from plays, like, uh, what do we do? We did that Anthony Hopkins one, didn't we? And that feels like it was trying to be more cinematic and therefore diverging from what Shakespeare would have had to have written down, you know? Mm. What was that, Titus? Titus, yes. I mean, stuff from Titus is obviously in the plays, but, like, 
it's more we're doing something arts art house with cinema rather than this is a play adaptation straightforwardly. So mm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, other than echoing what you've already said, Anthony, I would just add, you know, I had a good laugh and I. I'm surprised because it's such a stupid premise. Like, it's such a contrived load of nonsense. But it's because the actors seem to be enjoying themselves. Like, it's quite an ensemble, quite a large range of different quality actors all having fun with it. And it's um, I sort of did enjoy the hammy acting and the silly asides and the how over the top it was and how visually strong it was. Like it's, It is worth saying... It may not be very cinematic, and it may not feel like good cinema, but it certainly is like realizing a play really well. It's it's doing justice to mm. the play, serving the play and the text rather than trying to be a wonderful piece of film that we've never seen before. It is how be- how much you can't do it better than he did without making it diverge from what the original play is more than you'd want to. Mm. Seeing as it is a celebration of Shakespeare's play rather than just a fucking taking that as inspiration for a more succinct, better, thought-out story. Mm. So I, I enjoyed it, Abby. I'm glad you selected it. The title, Much Ado About Nothing, I get it. It, it. You know, it's a lot of fuss considering there was no real problem. Apart from that your friend Keanu Reeves is a dickhead, of course. So... I don't mind a title that sounds confusing on the surface if I can make sense of it, you know? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. A lot of fucking bullshit considering there shouldn't have been a hold-up at all. Not as catchy a title, I know. And in the last like minute, it has occurred to me how much all of them were jammy bastards for having that shoot in Tuscany with that group of people. <laughs> yeah. Oh. They must have had a wonderful time. Apparently, Keanu Reeves and Brian Blessed became very good friends. Wow. I, that is the best news I've heard in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> to know that those two crossed over in a meaningful way. Plus, all the, a lot of Americans get to do a Shakespeare, which, you know, can't be on the cards very often, because often the temptation is, oh, well, they have to be British, or even though Shakespearean plays are often not set in Britain. But, like, you know... Uh, Shakespeare yeah. could, can't really write American characters because they didn't exist. Yeah, and Denzel Washington, for the most part, holds his own, I think. Yeah, he's like a dull character to play, but it is an example of colourblind casting. Like, it doesn't matter what race anyone is because they're all, like, not Italian. So let's just supplant, like, let's just take whoever we want and is. His suits, who uh, I guess whoever the cast director or Kenneth Branagh has been working with or wants to work with or what you know thinks is right, and stick them in the roles and like just have fun with it. It it felt fun, and it probably was fun by the sounds of it. I wouldn't mind spending some time in Tuscany with Brian Blessed or Keanu Reeves or any combination of these bastards, you know. <laughs> reading poetry in trees and cavorting about and dancing and shit. Good laugh. Yeah, I really like this. Like, it's not, like, the best film in the world, as you've both described, but it is just pleasant. Enjoy it. It's funny. It's nice. You know? Mm. And there's definitely a place now for just pleasant. I'll take pleasant in my life. (laughs) 
Uh, I'd certainly watch more if 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 I'm if Kenneth Branagh is adapting Shakespeare. I'm game for another one. Like I, he's proven himself that he can do it and not bore the tits off me like I'd expect to have been. So I think you know, Abby, you said he's done other adaptations. Maybe in future. Not soon, but maybe one day I'd be like, oh, sure, I'm up for another. Maybe I will understand Shakespeare properly with the help of Kenneth Branagh and co. So kudos to him anyway. Hmm. Well, there's there's always his full-length, unabridged Hamlet, which is like in two parts and is four hours long. Sign me up. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) But, But there are a fair few, so... Yeah. Might come up again. Well, with that veiled threat, (laughs) (laughs) with various veiled brides, like who were the other people veiled? There was two. Like the hero was veiled, and uh, Emma Thompson was veiled, and then there was just some other servants put veils on. Everyone wear veils. He'll fuck with him. He won't know where where he's coming or going. Oh no! I'm going to marry a dwarf. No! (laughs) Like ah, you're going to marry a child. Oh, that's not taboo in these times. Weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it should have been called "fucked up wedding bullshit." That's what I would have called it. But then I'm not a genius playwright, so what do I know? Glad you're the one who brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, as Shakespeare once said, "Toodle pip." Catch us next time for another film chat about another film. Bye. Those immortal words. Oh, Bye. sorry. If <laughs> put one of them in there. <laughs> Doth meet us again for another Doth podcast. Me thinketh you shall. Yeah, bye.